Exploring the impact of sports. Welcome, Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Having conversations and hearing personal stories from those who have been impacted, built, and inspired by the role of sports in their lives. Here's your host, Richmond Weaver. This is episode 89. Thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen. Sometimes we all need a push in life, and many times it's those pushes that make all the difference in the world. And our guest this episode, LaChina Robinson, found her passion when she was pushed towards basketball. She would excel in basketball, eventually playing at Wake Forest University, and earned a spot on the All-ACC freshman team in 1999. After graduation, she would make the move to Atlanta, holding several key positions in administration with the Georgia Tech women's basketball program before putting on the headset as a color analyst where her true career was born. She's been an analyst for the Atlanta Dream of the WNBA since the team's inception in 2008, and she continues to work with multiple networks as a women's college basketball analyst and reporter. And in March 2018, she received the Dawn Staley Excellence in Broadcasting Award, which was established to honor women in broadcasting who have excelled in covering women's college basketball. She also founded Stretch Beyond in 2008, which mentors and empowers student athletes to be intentional in developing their career, character, and community brand, where she's a sought-after speaker and host for a number of professional and nonprofit organizations. Now, before our conversation started, we had a crazy interaction with an egomaniac hotel manager trying to call security and remove us from the area in the hotel where we were sitting down for the podcast. And then, fortunately, the fire truck screaming down the middle of Buckhead in Atlanta didn't come until the very end. Here's episode 89 with LaChina Robinson. China, thank you so much. It's been interesting. Yeah, it has. <laughs> to get started, Very right eventful. Yes, no. that means that this is getting ready to be like the best podcast ever. Oh, of course it is. <laughs> and it's just part of another story that we get to tell at some point. I know yeah. you love storytelling. I do. Yeah. And so why is storytelling so important to you and what you get out of it? Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's crazy the number of times I changed my major when I was at Wake Forest. I came in saying, oh, I want to be a lawyer. And then I realized how much I had to read and write. And I was like, no, thank you. Um, then I wanted to be a psychologist and uh, took the intro class. And it was way more science than I expected. So that was down. And I ended with sociology because I've always liked the connection between people and society. And as you know, everyone has a story. They do. And how they were brought up and how they got to where they are. And those kind of things have always intrigued me. I think most of the world enjoys a great story. And so uh, that's actually what got me interested in the media field initially was trying to find ways to tell more stories. And you're entering your 10th year. Yeah. Is, is it hard to believe 10 years? It's gone so fast. Yeah. I mean, when it seems like yesterday, <laughs> I, I just actually was having breakfast with a young lady who is trying to get into broadcasting and telling her about how I was sending out all of my um, DVDs and, you know, CDs <laughs> of my radio games to anybody that would listen or watch. 
in order to get feedback. So yeah, it has gone by really quickly, but it's been an amazing ride. Yeah, have you gone back and listened to any of those early times in your career? <laughs> no, but that's actually a pretty good idea. Um, I don't want to scare myself too much, right? Like, oh wow, I can't believe you have a job. Um, but I, I've definitely grown because, again, I was not a broadcast major. Wasn't yeah, and so that was that's never something that you really thought about no, growing up. Never. Um, and I watched a lot of sports. I, I don't think it, I ever made the connection that there were people who were talking, and that's a possibility for me, right? Yeah, that that was a career option. Yeah, not until I you know started watching Robin Roberts, who I credit with you know being that first vision for me of what was possible a woman an african american woman working in basketball a former student athlete just like myself so uh, making all of those valuable connections definitely opened my eyes to um, where i could be based on what robin had achieved do you have any other mentors that you looked up to as you got into oh, the, the sports broadcasting side yeah, of it yeah i mean um, so obviously women's basketball is my passion. Yes. So a lot of my early, um, and, and I'm going to call them mentors. They've never actually agreed to be my mentor. <laughs> um, but I would say, uh, definitely Carolyn Peck, who, you know, carries the banner at ESPN, having won a national championship, um, as a head coach, like she's someone I've always looked up to. She was one of the first people that was willing to sit down with me and show me her board and this is what you can expect. And teach me all those things. So um, she was one of the first for sure, but even just in, in thinking about a mentor from a general sense, like how to make that transition from a student athlete to a professional, Bernie McGlade was someone who um, really impacted me. I mean, my, my year as an intern at the ACC once I left Wake was transformational. You know, I, I learned so much and Bernie was an associate commissioner at the time at the ACC, former basketball player at Carolina, now commissioner at the A-10. Um, so it's people like Carolyn and Bernie that kind of set the stage for me when I was very young. And now you're flipping that role that you're the person that you're mentoring people now. Yeah. You know, helping yeah. those individuals, talking about your pathway into it. Yeah, Rich, I mean, I think you understand that that's, that's how we pay it forward, right? Of like course. we've all had people in our careers, in our lives that have just um, bridged the gap for us, came in and gave us some great advice when we needed it. and. So I want to be that source of inspiration for another young woman. And so that's why I started my, my program, Rising Media Stars. So give me the background of that. How did you come up with that vision to do that? Yeah. Well, I, I used to get emails, and still do, but all the time when I first started working for The Dream. You know, I work alongside Bob Rathbun, been calling The Dream Game since the first year the team started in 2008. And I get these emails from young women saying, Hey, can I come and shadow you? Ask you a few questions? And I'm like, sure. And it, it really didn't dawn on me how valuable that experience is. I mean, even though I had done the same things, it's like, oh, you want to come and shadow me? I don't know what I'm doing yet. Yeah, exactly. Because um, you're but, just living it day by day. Exactly. Right? You are really trying to make that climb. But they were um, just so persistent. And I got some great feedback. And some of the young women went on to do great things. And so, a couple years ago, I, I partnered with a guy named Kevin Nixon, who has a um, he has a video company that he runs and he had also been having young women come to games and they were he was recording them doing their stand-ups on the floor so we combined our two services and started rising media stars basically the program is a year long we have five young women that um, get on-camera experiences at professional sports events um, they get mentors 
Uh, we have classroom sessions where we talk about some of the specifics of broadcasting, how to ask questions. We have guest speakers, things like that. So um, it's really utilizing the resources that we already have available to us to help. Yeah, just other bringing people. them together. Yeah, to and help exposing other these individuals to it. Absolutely. I know they've got to get a lot out of that because, to your point. It's the experiences. Yeah. That's where you're learning. Yes. That's when you can have some of the failures and learn from that and increase your ability to be better. Yeah. I mean, it's not until, and I've even had people that majored in broadcasting tell me that you can sit in the classroom, you can get your degree, but not until you're out in the field and that camera, <laughs> that red light, that red comes, light on. comes on. Yeah, right? <laughs> that's when you find out what you're about. So that, um, that on-the-job experience that you need in the gap as you're transitioning into the real world can be very helpful. So before that red light came on for you, let's go back into your story growing up and getting into sports or gravitating towards sports and obviously your passion of basketball. So what was that like growing up? Yeah, well, my mom will tell you that um, it wasn't until I was probably about five or six and she realized that I wasn't fitting into the hand-me-downs that I was a little <laughs> tall, right? Yes, you are um, tall. So I'm 6'4", <laughs> but my sisters are, I think my tallest sister's 5'9". So my mom was just saying, I'm not sure why this isn't fitting you, you know? <laughs> um, but there weren't a lot of female athletes as examples in my family. My sister played a little basketball actually through high school. Um, so that helped to kind of expose me to it. But my mother was always like, eh, cheerleading, dancing. You know, I played violin. Um, until in the ninth grade, when I was 14, I was 6'4", at 14 years old. And people would always, yeah, I know, crazy. Wow. Yeah, people would come by and say, why don't you play basketball? And it was this one guy named Michael J. who was persistent. And the one thing he said to my mother was, she could get a college scholarship. And my mother was like, we'll be there tomorrow. So that was it. That was adding <laughs> yeah. up to her, right? Yeah, yes. that was it. But I've always loved sport. I mean, I can remember watching figure skating as a kid and I watched golf, you know, I watched Arnold Palmer and Freddie Couples and, you know, like I watched so many different sports. I just loved it, never made the connection as to why um, until I got much older. So what is that connection? You know, I think it's the competitiveness. It's a place, I've always been a competitive person, right? And so now you have this place where you can actually go and being competitive is a good thing, right? That's right, <laughs> like, exactly. Instead of being on the, on the playground fighting over crayons. Um, so it was a place where I felt like I fit in the world. Like once I stepped on the basketball court, when you're 6'4", you don't feel like you fit anywhere. Um, and Especially I, as a female. No, it, my, my self-esteem was so low. Um, as a kid, you know, I was taller than everyone. I had big feet. I was different. Like, no one wants to be different. But on the basketball court, I realized that it was an advantage, that everything that made me unique was something that was going to help me in the future of All my life. All of a sudden, it became a strength. Yes. And did you feel, did you pick up the game naturally, I should say? No. I was no. terrible. Okay. <laughs> I was absolutely terrible. Uh, I play, in fact, most people that go on to earn an ACC scholarship um, played varsity four years. I went freshman, JV, and then two years of varsity. <laughs> I was not good enough. Uh, but, you know, being tall helped, and um, it definitely is, is, is an advantage because there aren't very many tall women out here. So it's like, okay, we'll take her. She's got some work to do, though. Um, She's a project. Yeah, she is definitely a project. So did it, I was, it didn't come natural, natural to me, but I was a really, really, really hard worker. And that means a lot, though. Yes. And obviously you worked really hard to get a scholarship to Wake Forest. So what was the whole recruiting process like, and 
How did it come down to Wake Forest? I was fortunate enough, so blessed, that there was a man named Fred Priester, who is still the head coach right now at Oakton High School from Alexandria, Virginia. Oakton is in Fairfax. And he had an AU team called the Virginia Vogues. And <laughs> That's appropriate. They, yeah. They had not added a new player, I don't think, since this team, who at this time I think was 14-year-olds. They hadn't added a new player since they were probably like in sixth grade, so 12, you know, like, no, maybe 11. It might have been even before then. But they hadn't added anyone, really. And he saw something in me, gave me a shot. So I played AU for the Vogues, um, got college exposure that way. And my schools came down to JMU, FAMU, Clemson, and Wake Forest. And um, I wasn't heavily recruited. I hadn't been playing very long. I wasn't very good. And I think everyone that did come and check me out knew I was going to be a project. Um, but it came down to Wake Forest really because of the size of the school. Like my mother loved that I was going to get so much one-on-one -on -one academic attention. Student teacher ratio was like 12 to 1, 15 to 1. Um, and she wanted me to be in Winston-Salem where I couldn't be in, getting any trouble. <laughs> she wanted me in the smallest place that she could possibly get me to. Um, now, did you get in trouble growing up, though? Were you mischievous? No, I wasn't. But I think a, that's a why rule I'm, follower. I'm a rule follower. My mother was concerned that going off to college, you know, things could change. <laughs> All a of a sudden, it's going to so, change. Yeah, yeah, I did have my challenges, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so that's kind of what happened with Wake Forest and Charlene Curtis obviously was, was something, you know, my mother wanted me to play for a strong woman who was smart and confident and could be a role model to me in every in every way. So well, it's too bad course. you didn't go to Clemson, though. As a Clemson know, grad, you know, we could have so used I love, you. I love Jim Davis, but he was too stacked. I was never going to crack that lineup. <laughs> Clemson was too good. Like, I, I knew that the number one thing for me was I wanted to play. Like, I didn't know what was going to end up happening with my team, uh, which might have been the smartest way to approach my career now that I think about it. But I was like, I want to go somewhere where I can work really hard and play minutes. So you guys had Nikki Blassengame oh, yes. and Aaron Bath and... You know, I was hosted by Toro Umo. Um, so those are friends oh, that no, I've those had are forever. Some, but those are some good yeah, Clemson teams back then. Yeah, great people, but I would have yeah. never cracked that <laughs> roster at all. I would have got any, any burn. What was the hardest thing then, making that transition to try to play college basketball in the ACC? Yeah, well, I mean, Wake Forest was such a different place from where I grew up, right? Like, I grew up in Alexandria, Virginia, a very diverse area. Wake Forest does not have a lot of diversity, didn't at the time. And so there were cultural challenges there, but also understanding what it took to be successful academically and athletically. I can remember my first year, my freshman year, I could not make my mile time. Like I had not learned how to push myself mentally or physically. Um, and so finding that next gear, being comfortable, being uncomfortable, right? Yes. Finding that, that space where I understood I had a lot of growing to do. Uh, it was challenging. It hurt. I tried to go home my freshman year. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I went home for fall break and begged my mother. I was like, Mom, <laughs> I'm never going to make my mile. Just let me stay here. You know, that kind of thing. And what did Mom uh, say? She said, absolutely not. She no. said, we don't. You're she pushed We've you. given your room to your sister, so you have no one to sleep. <laughs> and she's like, you told this school that you were going to go there, and so you're going to keep your word. And it's one of the best things she's ever done. Yeah. For me. Fighting through that adversity, no right? No doubt. She understood exactly what I needed and was willing to make let me hurt a little bit, right? Like, I, I, I'm not a parent yet, but what I understand, that can be tough. Oh, it is. I'm a parent of three, and it is very tough to see your kid have to go through some type of failure. But yes. 
that's how they grow. And you experienced it firsthand. We all do. Yes. We all have some type of failures you or adversity that we face and yep. it actually strengthens us. That's what builds our character. It really all does. So at that point, you're at Wake Forest and you start having success. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, did you ever get to a point where like, oh, wow. Now I'm with China oh, Robinson for no Wake doubt. Forest. Look at me. Watch my, me my roll now. My sophomore year smacked <laughs> me in the face really hard. I was on the ACC All-Freshman team. I was on Dean's List my first year. And then my sophomore year, I decided I wasn't going to work hard anymore. You know, I had, oh, I got this, you yeah. know. And so uh, I lost my starting position for a little while. Um, you know, had to go see the academic advisor a little bit more than I was used to. Um, but it scared me enough to get me to get me back on track and just start doing the little things that I that got me the success I had as a freshman. Now, why didn't you pursue any other professional playing careers? I know you got hurt. Yes, you know, your senior year. Was that the defining moment is where it, you made the decision not to? It was. So I had an issue going on with my back kind of a couple of different things that they wanted me to set out for a year. And so that's when I got the internship at the ACC. And by the time I set out for a year, Rich, you know, (laughs) I loved my job and I had stopped working out and, you know, just all these things added up to, I think I'm okay. Like, I think I'm just going to ride it out and get into the professional world. And so at that point, though, when you're doing the internship, still broadcasting was nowhere in your vision. No. I look back now, and there were people at the ACC who were like, you should try broadcasting. And I was like, no. Um, so I think other people saw it, but it was not something I had thought about. So when was the moment when you finally, I guess, put the headset on? Yeah. So I was... Um, again, working at Georgia Tech. So after I left the ACC, um, I got a job uh, at Georgia Tech working with their women's basketball program. Michelle Joseph had just taken the head coaching job there. Um, Mary McElroy actually was the person that called me about the job and got to work with Paul Griffin, who is a, a legend in athletic administration. Um, but I was doing operations. So I came in first as the administrative assistant for recruiting. Then I was the administrative coordinator, and then I was director of ops. So under that hat, and you know this, Rich, you do a little bit of everything. It's yes. like marketing and fundraising right. and travel <laughs> and budget and recruiting and help, you know, all of that stuff. Um, and I loved it and kind of got this vision that I wanted to be an AD. And then when I was in my late 20s, I kind of started to say, yeah, you know, a little bit of it was climate of college athletics. You know, it was like, hmm. And what do you mean the climate of college oh, athletics? Oh, just that it... I guess the more I got to learn about it, it was more of a business than I had really realized previously. Um, conference realignment was starting to be a thought, which I knew was going to totally shake up the landscape, which it, which it did. Um, and so there were just several things happening that, um, you know, and I felt like I was still young and vibrant. I wanted to be, <laughs> I wanted to be in an office, you know, like I wanted to be close be to the game, out. right, but yeah. not coach. So one day um, they asked if I wanted to do the color for the women's basketball team on radio because they have a wonderful play-by-play. He's been doing it forever. His name is Richard Musterer. And, but he's usually, he used to only do it by himself. And they're like, well, you know, you should go on and do some color. And I was like, fine, if you guys need me to fill in, whatever. Of course, I put the headset on and I thought it was the best thing since sliced bread. It was magic. Oh, God. I was like, <laughs> okay, how can I do this for the rest of my life? So, but it was good to learn in radio, you know, like to really get the reps. And one of the best things that happened to me that I think really helped me, helped to prepare me for the TV side. Why not coaching, though? 
coaches have a very demanding job. And what I mean by that, it's not like I don't work hard in what I do in broadcasting, but in the world we live in today, being in charge of children between the ages of 17 and 22 at the extremes on both ends mm -hmm. is a lot of responsibility. <laughs> um, and I think the recruiting piece is something that seems to really be, I mean, there's so many things that you can't control that are, um, you know, it, it, it's, it seems like a very hard job. Um, and as much as I love the game of basketball, I love mentoring and all those pieces, I've always wanted my freedom in a sense as well. Um, and I guess what I mean by that is like, you know, I work in broadcasting, which means I get up every day, I get to talk about basketball, which I would do if no one paid That's me. right. Right, yes. and then I have my own company. So there's just this space I found where there's not one thing that I do that I don't like. I don't know if I would like working summer basketball camps if I was a coach, you know what I mean? So I started to look at those I'll little things. I'll work some of those camps, right, I know. Right, right, right. So I started to look at those little things and um, it just wasn't the right fit for me. Well, you found your niche here. Yes. In terms of the sports casting, sports broadcasting, however you want to define it, but radio and TV, mm -hmm. and even doing podcasting yourself. Yeah, I mean you're you're in the mix of trying of, to be big time like you on the podcast. Oh yeah, here we go. There you go. Make my head way too trying big. Trying to get to Rich's level. That's <laughs> yes. it. Well, you far surpass that. Believe me. What do you enjoy of all of those most? Is it TV side or radio side, or, mm -hmm. or what do you gain from? Yeah. the passion of each of those. Yeah, I think my passions have been pretty consistent in what I do in broadcasting, but also with my company. And it's that I want to help women, right? Like I was a women athlete, female athlete. Um, we didn't get a lot of media coverage. And I think 4% maybe is now the number of, of, of percentage of coverage for women when it comes to sports. Um, and I've always had a passion to help grow and mentor women. So I work in women's basketball. I've had offers to work in, on the NBA side and do other things, but this is where I feel like I can have the greatest impact. And that's whether it's walking in the gym and being a role model for these young women or them seeing what they could possibly do or, um, you know, just giving women's basketball more exposure in every way that I can on social media and different ways, things like that. Like that makes me feel like I have more of a purpose than a job, right? So yes. you call a game, doesn't feel like a job, but that would be technically the job aspect of it, but it's all the things that it can impact around that that um, are more of my purpose. So you've got this platform, obviously, yeah. and as you mentioned, your companies, now, do you have this entrepreneurial spirit or is it more of building something to, as you mentioned, to, to help mentor? Yeah, people. that's really what it was. You know, I, I, when I was transitioning into television, I still wanted to hold on to athletic administration. And the part of administration that always intrigued me was the student athlete development piece. So I started my company to give and that's, me. And is that the, the stretch beyond? Yeah, stretch beyond. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I started my company stretch beyond to kind of fill in that gap, you know, um, of that of that other passion that I have. Like, there's this big misunderstanding, in my opinion, that you have to do one thing and hold on in on that, and that's got to be your one avenue. I've never subscribed to that. Well, obviously um, not. <laughs> no, no. So as my purposes, my passions evolve, shift, change, I've always given myself permission um, to work in those different spaces and to um, redefine what it looks like for me uh, in the workspace and what I'm doing in mentoring, my company, broadcasting, 
and kind of shape that whatever way I need to shape it. And how do you feel the women's game is going just mm -hmm. in terms of, I know you mentioned yeah. doesn't seem a whole lot of coverage, but it does seem to be gaining some traction. So from your vantage point, how do you see it? Yeah, the game is really growing. Um, just coming off the WNBA season in particular, I think it was the best season I've ever been a part of in terms of what the on-court product is. I mean, these women, Ridge, are the best athletes in the world. Um, Agreed 100%. Their speed, their athleticism. Like, the game is going places that I don't think we, have, we saw it 22 years ago, which is the number of seasons we're now heading into 23 for the WNBA. Um, but young girls are playing earlier, right? Like, you think about the impact of Title IX. We now have women who played in college or played professionally. Now their kids are playing, and then their kids are playing. And it's... Um, you know, the, the sophistication, the training and all of everything, all of that is going into just uh, the best product we've seen in women's basketball. We've got social media that helps to market the sport, uh, which is something that I would say was missing over time. Um, now companies don't have to make a decision. We'd like for them to invest in the marketing of women's basketball, but you can market yourself. Yes, you know? that's right. So that is, that was huge. Um, but the women's game is greater than I've, I've ever seen it. And there's always talk about basketball discussions, debates, mm -hmm. LeBron versus mm -hmm. Michael Jordan. But what about from the women's side? Yeah. Who are the, the goats from the women's side, oh, in your opinion? So many of them, you know, from the Cheryl Millers and the Cheryl Swoops and Lisa Leslie's to the Diana Tarazis and the Maya Moores and the Tamika Catchings. Like, I mean, that, that discussion could go all day long. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's good. It says, it says a lot about the game that we have that kind of depth. You know, the Candace Parkers of the world. Like, we're now looking at a pool of women's players who are exceptional um, and continue to just get better and better every year. Yeah. And I think if people could go back and watch video of Cheryl Miller, they would be amazed. Oh, yeah. She was way before her time. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I still think she's one of the best. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I think people, because she did not have, she wasn't around WNBA, you know, that kind of thing, they often don't give her that level of credit. But if, when you see her, That's you right. know that well, she's Well, yeah, she legit. obviously didn't have the exposure that yeah. some of the players uh, now. Players now. Yeah. yeah. It is completely different. What's some of the craziest or best sports moments that you've called or oh, you've been involved with gosh, over I the mean, years? If you can even great ones. nail it down to yeah. a few. I remember a triple overtime game in, at LSU. Um, this must have been, gosh, Allison Hightower was there. So maybe like 09, 08. I don't know. Maybe, no, probably wasn't that long ago. Maybe 2010. Um, but it was on Super Bowl Sunday and the Super Bowl mm -hmm. was in New Orleans. So I was in Baton Rouge. And it was just crazy because people were in there with like their cha their their uh, Mardi Gras beads and all kinds of dressed you know dressed up and you know how New Orleans is. That's right. I mean, it's a spicy place, and so uh, this game actually went three overtimes. It was the only triple time triple overtime game I can remember being a part of. Um, a young woman named Catherine Graham was a part of the, the LSU team, and I want to say they were playing Ole Miss. They were. It was just one of the greatest performances I've ever seen. And then there were the Eastern Conference shootouts is what I call them between Angel McCautry and Cappy Pondexter. Um, you know, Angel is one of the greatest players we've ever seen in the history of the, of the WNBA when it comes to playoff performances. I mean, I think she's put up 40 in a game. Yeah, so clutch and can really put up a lot of points. So she and Cappy would go back and <laughs> forth. Uh, those were some very great memories. And then the WNBA finals, you know, between 
LA and Minnesota, the two years that they went head to head. I mean, my heart starts beating just thinking about, um, you know, just the clutch moments and the big plays and the crowds and, oh boy, some of the best basketball moments I've, I've had an opportunity to be a part of. Now, have you ever thought about doing the play-by-play versus analyst role? I have. You know, it's not as easy to drive the bus, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> when That's you right. have to be the one figuring out where you're going next. But um, it's the it's the other part of it. It's it's the driving the bus that's not that's not as easy for me. So I tried it a few times and just did not, you know, wasn't <laughs> a great experience. Um, so I just kind of gathered that the analyst spot, it, and I love the X and O's and the diving into the strategy and going to practice and listening to how they're gonna hold the big girl down inside or how they're gonna stop three-point attack. Um, all those different things are, are so intriguing to me. What is life like for you on the road or just during the season? Because I know you're traveling quite a bit. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I travel a lot. And, you know, when I was younger, traveling didn't get to me as much. As I'm getting older, I'm like, <laughs> I would love to sleep in my own bed tonight. Can that happen? Um, but it's a part of it. And, and the college environments are amazing. Um, you know, you get to go to different campuses and experience traditions and um, those are memories and things that stay with you forever. Now, one of the things I also like to to focus on is words of wisdom mm -hmm. and i know you're well versed in words of wisdom because live to inspire yeah that is that is your motto, my motto. and i know that's what you are, are living through but how did that come about why live to inspire i mean how did you come up with that yeah that was actually my first social media handle on twitter and instagram still is on instagram but i changed my twitter to my actual name now but I wanted to be reminded every day of my purpose. And regardless of what my job was, what game I had, if I had no game, no job, I know that my place in life is to inspire. And that's what God wants me to do every day. And so I wanted that to be before me and every day reminded of those words. So that's where Lives to Inspire comes from. That's my mission. Um, that's my purpose. That's what I think we all should try to do to some level. Um, but. I've gotten a lot of great words of wisdom over time. I think some of, some of the quotes that have anchored me in my career, number one is I love, don't be afraid to go out on a limb, that's where the fruit is. Uh, because getting into broadcasting with no broadcast experience, never been on television, no communication major, like I really had to go out there on that limb, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it was, again, my relationship with God where I just had to have this faith that this is what he wanted me to do and I was just gonna go do it. So that's one of my favorite quotes. Another one um, that has kind of shaped my career is stand for something or fall for anything. Um, you know, there were just certain things that I decided every day when I came to work, I was going to bring my integrity, my energy, my preparation, my work ethic. Like, um, I wanted to stand for what was important to LaChina every day, regardless. Um, because if not, you can fall for anything. Yes, and we of all course. know that, you know, if you're not... It's easy to fall for anything. Yes. And if you're not intentional about what it is you're trying to accomplish in the world and who you want to be... Yeah, things can go, get crazy. That's right. So when did faith become important in your life? Yeah, really when I was a little a little girl. I mean, I remember going to Sunday school when we were little kids and um, grew up in the church. Uh, went to Ebenezer AME Church in Fort Washington. I'm from Alexandria, Virginia, so that's in the, in the Maryland area. And then I've been going to Destiny Metropolitan Worship Church here in Atlanta for 16 years. So, you know, it's... I've had some moments in life that I would not have made it through without the Lord. 
and um, that was your foundation totally my foundation yeah. you know I, I even remember in college just having some really really tough experiences um, things were going on at home you know I was kind of not sure of myself and I felt so grounded in the word and in God and in my religious beliefs, my spiritual beliefs that, um, you know, that's what kept me around. I've gone through some crazy things in my life as well. Now, I didn't come into my faith until probably 11, 12 years ago. And so I'm jealous that you've had your faith for so long, but everybody has their own journey through that. But you know how it is, Rich. Like, it's once you find it, that's when things get crazy. Oh, right? that's that's right. That's right. You know, God's like, all right, this is what you want. You exactly. know, let's see. This is really... So... Um, that is true, yeah. w without a doubt. Well, LaChina, I can't thank you enough for spending some time oh, sharing a little bit more about your story and, you know, your journey and your pathway and being part of my journey in this podcasting crazy journey, I, I, I should say. I think it's amazing what you're doing, Rich, and it is an honor for me to be on, and I've gained nuggets from listening to your podcast already coming in. I was like, okay, let me go and listen to a few <laughs> episodes, So, but you're definitely sharing things that people need to hear, stories that inspire, so thank you for no. having me and for everything you're it's doing. It's been an honor as, as, as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. Perfect timing. I know. Right? I was going to say, I was like, Rich is getting ready to wrap that up before this exactly. comes through, right? That's right. Finding your passion might take some type of push, and then acting on that push often takes much more courage than we think. And not being afraid and having courage like LaChina, not only where she was pursuing her passion within the game of basketball, but also having the perspective to pursue a purpose instead of just a career and having the courage to take that type of step of being intentional to inspire others is truly where the fruit is. Now that finishes episode 89. And remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Take Sports. Thanks for listening.